It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie Welcome to Late Lunch this Monday afternoon. Now you'll complain about the heat. Oh, indeed you will. You'll say it's too warm, will you? No, you won't be complaining about the heat anymore. By God, hasn't the ishka arrived? It's been raining cats and dogs on and off. And, uh, well, I suppose the way the rain is welcome in many quarters. No word about the hosepipe band. Now I can tell you that there won't be for the rest of the year. But there you are. We're never happy, are we, with the weather? When it was, it was hot. I know it was hot a few weeks back. But, by God, I'd swap it for this any time. Fingers crossed it will improve. There has to be field mushrooms. I'm sure after the real warm, dry summer, there's got to be a, a flush of them in the fields out there. Anybody out having a look for them or come across them at all I'd love to know if you have I meant to get out myself but I just didn't get the chance if you have had a feed from the fields let me know 1850 you can call in or you can text or whatsapp me to 086 658 658 that's 086-1800-658 about anything that's on your mind beside the mushrooms what a weekend it was sport wise we'll be coming back to uh, the sporting successes in a while on the show but I want to begin today with a truly remarkable story. I, I met Jack Riley before. If you're a regular listener, that's a few years back now. I paid a visit, a good few years back, to his pigeon loft. He's in Bohor Brewer in Drogheda. And Jack gave me a call over the weekend and I just had to go and see him and his pigeons, which I did. And you see, the story goes back to June, June, the June of this year. And a pigeon of Jack's that he, he races pigeons all the time here at Ireland from England across but this pigeon went to France look I'll say no more here's Jack Riley as he picks up the story back in June the end of June one of our big races from France from St Mallow 405 miles to, to the loft here in Rada a few yards on that you know and this board has raced seven races this year and has put in great performances when you calculate the amount of miles that the pigeon has under our belt, you're talking about 1,334. And she's come back here every time after all those races? Every time, apart from the St Mallow one. She got a lift. <laughs> OK, so the pigeon gets a lift. Now, take us back to that day. So the birds are collected here? The birds are collected in, in Drogheda and brought up to the transporter uh, in Malbriggan. We're transported with the NIPA 
Northern Ireland Pigeons Association, they bring up balls to, to the like of England, to Bude, Penzance, Senecove, and also to uh, the French races. So she was brought and transported with them, brought it over to St Mallow. They were let out not too early, they were a little late. It was near 11 o'clock again they were let out, which is late for a liberation from France with the distance the boats have to fly. But on the day, on the, on the channel, on the sea, there wasn't great visibility. So the board missed Ireland, got into South England, came across, missed Wexford, and went on down, couldn't get in onto any of the southern coasts of Ireland because of the visibility. So she kept flying in a straight line, and lucky enough, she seen a trawler. And down she went, and I'm having a rest here. So she sat down on the trawler to have a rest, and I must congratulate the uh, the skipper of the trawler and also the crewmen who looked after her very well. They fed her rice and water, and she got so tame she would eat her with her hands. <laughs> I said to the fancy that had told me where she was, is that my pigeon really eating her in her hand? Uh, I'm not sure about this one. But anyway, it is, turned out it is my pigeon, you know. And she was on the trawler for about two weeks or so. She left here on what date? She left here on the 26th of June. And she was released in France on? On the 27th. At 11 o'clock, as you say, was late in the day. Late enough in the day, you know. And when would you expect her to fly those? How many miles again was it? 405 miles, a few yards, I forget yes. the yard. When would it. you expect her to arrive here at the loft? Well, I would expect her to fly it within maybe 8 to 10 hours. Fantastic. <laughs> so when did you suspect there was a problem? When, when she didn't arrive that evening, and uh, there were very few boards recorded home on the day, you know, and then even the next day... They were only coming in twos and threes here and there. So, Lord, this board is in trouble now. Anyway, I'm mm. disappointed. You know, because she was after flying well from Bude. She got me a position on the club and in her and She was a good, consistent pigeon. Mm. And I wouldn't have a pigeon in my loft that is uh, over two years old unless I had flew well as a youngster, a yearling, and two-year-old. Mm. And she is a 2018 pigeon, so she has done a lot of flying, good experienced pigeon, and there's no reason why she couldn't have been home. So she's between two and three years of age? Yeah. Do you have a name on her? I have put a name on her. I'm going to call her Lady Anne. Why is that? Uh, In reference to my sister. Ah, lovely. Who is not well at the moment and won't get any better, unfortunately. Ah, that's really nice, Jack. So it is. So anyway, she gets lost. And other pigeon men experienced this as well. There were a number oh, of pigeons yeah. went missing. Well, there was quite a lot of pigeons mm. went missing. Because you know. of the conditions. It was the conditions that were against the boards, mm. especially on the channel. When the board hits the channel and they can't navigate where they are, that's how they get lost. Where was this trawler fishing? How far off the coast of Ireland? It was 180 nautical miles southwest of Castletown Vare. So she was well off course, the Way pigeon. Off, yeah. She had to keep going. She'd probably end up in America. Oh, <laughs> my, oh, my. And I never would with the distance involved, of course. But anyway, the guys on the trawler, she saw the trawler, landed, and they looked after her. They looked after her. Fair play to them. And I, I, unfortunately, I didn't get the skipper's name. There again, he mightn't want to uh, mm. be broadcast type so of thing. So you know. here's the, the puzzle now. She's on the trawler for how long, did you say? For over two weeks. And they fed her and looked after her and she became yeah. quite accustomed to them oh, and tame. Yeah, quite tame. She'd go for a little fly around the trawler 
every day and she'd come back and he'd give her a little bit to eat and water and she dressed up then, you know. Yeah, so she homed into the trawler out on the uh, ocean. She, yeah, yes. uh, they were deep sea fishermen. Now, so how is this pigeon back in your loft today? What happened? The trawler came well, ashore then. The trawler came ashore at Castleton Bear and then the skipper, who lives actually in Donegal, and knows that a friend of his is a pigeon fancier in Donegal, Stephen, so... He drove the, he had a van, so he, the pigeon got a lift in a van from Castleton Bear to Donegal. And the fancier then in Donegal checked her out, gave her a bit of nourishing grub, and got her transported then by car to RD, to a pigeon fancier in RD. And then he in turn rang me, Jack, I have your pigeon, she's in good nick, writes that I'll be there in 20 minutes. So I went and collected her on Thursday evening. And brought her home, let her into the loft, and she went straight up to one S box. As if she was never away. Yeah, that's the truth of it, yeah. This is a remarkable story. It happens that pigeons will get lost, and the trawler men do look after them. So, Jack, as you say, this has happened in the past, but to you, Jack Riley, is this the first time, it's you know, with this this remarkable distance, the time she was lost, etc.? Oh, it really is the force with me, you know, and I'm very delighted to get the pigeon back because I know the quality that's in it, the good breeding that's in the pigeon, and it's nice to get them back. You hear them all there in the background. Oh, they're cooing away. They're probably giving out to you, looking for a bit of food, Jerry. Yeah. How many have you? I, at the moment, I have only 50. Mm. You know, but it's enough. If you have a good qualities, you, you don't need to be breeding any more than that. Yeah. You know. Lady Anne, the uh, most famous pigeon that Jack Riley has ever had now today because of this amazing story. Will, will you race her again? Oh, I will, of course. She knows the route. She knows what to do. It's only a matter of me being the fancier to look after her and get her into racing condition. Feeding her right, looking her after well. A couple of pop-up training tosses to get the muscles back in action. Just like a footballer that will be out injured. He doesn't go straight into a full game. He has to have a couple of warm-up games and things like that. And then she'll be as right as rain and ready for the road again. It's amazing the way... They home back into where they come from, all those hundreds of miles away from France, across the Channel, over the Irish Sea, over land and back to this loft here in Drogheda. Oh yeah, it's amazing the way they do it. And we still don't know. We just don't know. It's like the swallow coming back to nest in Ireland or the salmon coming back to the river where it's found. We just don't know how they do it. There are a number of different theories, of course, you know, but... Nothing has been proved yet for all the scientific knowledge we have, you know. It just hasn't been proven yet as to how they do it. It's a, li- it's a lovely little mystery that I like about the pigeons as well. I really do. Well, Lady Anne and Jack Riley, you are famous. What a remarkable story. All seemed lost. Well done to the trawler boys way out off the Irish coast who looked after her. The man in Donegal who set the wheels in motion. And we have to say, you were showing me a moment ago the little the two rings on, on both of her, or her legs there. Uh, one an identifier, but one with your details on it. That was the key one to find you. The key. They have the phone number on it was the key, you know. The, the, the fancier probably would have looked her up on the Irish Home and Union web to see where the pigeon came from or who owned it but it meant that I knew quicker than him having to go through all that to, to I knew where the pigeon was you know and it was great 
But the, the wait to get her back was, I was very anxious at times. And I rang him a couple of times and he says, Jack, don't worry, the pigeons are safe. You have her back as soon as we can. Yes, indeed. Uh, what a remarkable story that is. It really is. It just do your heart good and uh, well done to all concerned. Imagine the bird being released in France back in June and back in Jack's loft late last Thursday here in Drogheda. Incredible. And as Jack was t- mentioning there, it's a mystery of how these pigeons home in, you know, to fly back to their parent lofts. But when she came back, after all she's, she'd been through, she just hopped into the loft and away away she went from there. Now, just to tie the story together, Jack, uh, Louise, you've been just on the blower there as I'm speaking here and you've made the final uh, link in the circle. Jack sent the pigeon to France in June. It was released. It was missed until Thursday last when it returned to his loft which is into August um, the trawler skipper you have the trawler skipper who is the trawler skipper? is Patrick Spinks from Gidor Donegal and he operates out of Castletown Bear in the south of Ireland so Patrick and the crew when the pigeon hit the trawler off the south coast they're out fishing for two weeks they fed her and we have a lovely picture haven't we mm. of her sitting on the deck of the trawler looking out onto the sea with the bed, uh, the bank of computers on. It's a sophisticated trawler, this one, in front of her. Uh, Oh, my God, it's a wonderful picture. So he then, when he got back on shore, drove home to Guidor from uh, the south of Ireland. Long drive. Got in touch with Stephen O'Dea. Stephen O'Dea is the pigeon fancier in Guidor. Yes. He went to him. Stephen took it up from there with the pigeon and contacted Graham Riley who's a pigeon man from RD in County Louth. And Graham made the call to Jack Riley in Drahad and said, we have your pigeon. (laughs) Typical Irish story, isn't it? That's great. It's just great. It involves so many. Yeah, yeah. And the length and the breadth of land. But the thing is, Louise, I was looking at the bird. It's the little rings. You know the identifier rings? Mm. There's one on each of the the bird's legs and it was one of those. They carry the information. You know what I mean? But It's like a chip in a dog, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on on the uh, little tiny leg of the bird. But my God, and what a beautiful bird she is. All's well that ends well. Ah, I'm delighted. Great story. Great story. Great, great story. Lovely, uplifting story today. And the mystery again, as I said, of the homing pigeon. They just can't figure it out, but they know how to get home. And that board, planes, trains, or should I say trawlers, (laughs) cars, you name it, and automobiles got that pigeon back to Jack in Drahan. And I want to say a big hello today to... The lady that the pigeon is now named after. Lady Annie calls the pigeon after Jack's sister, Anne Riley. And I had a lovely chat with Anne on Saturday. She's living with motor neurone disease. And uh, she's a lovely, lovely woman. She really is. And she was full of chat to me on Saturday. And I wish her all the very best. And we're all thinking of her today. And fitting that the bird is named after Anne. Late lunch, LMFM radio. After the break. Yes, it's boxing. What about Kelly Harrington yesterday and the gold? We're going to have a chat in a few moments with a woman who knows all about boxing, local woman, Antoinette Fay. Kelly Harrington, gold. Yes, what a performance by the young woman from Portland Row in the north inner city. It was just fantastic yesterday and a wonderful end to the Olympics for Ireland. Well, what will our victory mean to women's boxing? Ireland's only AIBA world two-star female amateur boxing coaches from Navin in County Mead. We know her well on late lunch. Hello again, Antoinette Fay. 
Hello, Jerry. How are you? Long time no speak. Ah, <laughs> oh, listen, it's great to have you with us on the show again today. This is all too long. I can just though detect in your voice over the moon with Kelly's performance. Oh, absolutely. I think everybody is. Wasn't it just fantastic? Fantastic to watch. I'm delighted for her. I'm delighted for her her club and her family as well. It's just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And we've got to say again, this Brazilian, she was boxing in the final. This girl was some performer to beat her and win the gold. And having lost the first round of the the three, she did unbelievably well to turn it round. Oh, she did. Yes, Beatrix uh, Ferreira. Tough, tough Brazilian girl. Um, You know, she, when she hits, she hits hard. And, you know, as we said, she's a fighter. Um, she's a good technical boxer, but she has good fighter instincts as well. And and the fact that Kelly, as we always say, the first round is very important in, in amateur boxing. You must try and get that first round. 90% of the boxers who take the first round win the fight. Mm. But Kelly lost the first round. So, you know, we were sitting here with bated breath to see what she'd do in the second. But she was kind of coming into her own, say, the last 30 seconds of that first round. She started coming into her own. The bell went... When she came back, she just upped upped her gears. And I think she actually looked an awful lot more relaxed in the ring in her second round. Mm. And, and, that, and everything was just flown. She just she did very, very well. Mm. All her, her angles, the way she hit her, her, her defence, her offence. You, you just couldn't fault her. It was fantastic. I'd be avoiding that left hook anyway. Oh God, yes, definitely. <laughs> She's very fast, very fast to that. So she yes. is. I don't even see it coming. <laughs> no, she landed it so many times. She she really did. This girl has been, you know, uh, uh, coming towards this pinnacle, if we like to say, of her career from some time. She's been successful at the Worlds. I think it's important to say this is the first time this weight category she's really got in, isn't it, to to an Olympic uh, competition. Yes, it is. Yes, at at sixty, Katie Taylor's old waist car- uh, uh, waist category. But mm. yes, you know Kelly has put in years and years and years of hard work to get to where she is today, and she deserves every single second of of the success. She's so dedicated, so focused, mm. and 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 never misses, never misses a day's training. Spends all her time. She lives the lifestyle, yeah. the lifestyle that she needed. To, to compete at that top level, mm. especially at the Olympics. Once you make the Olympics, you are a leash. You know, it, it is a very hard level to get to. But Kelly lives that lifestyle. Mm. So she does. And as I said, years and years and years of hard work mm. she's put in to perfect her sport, to perfect how she trains, to perfect how she moves, to perfect her boxing skills, and even her ring craft itself. Yeah. Years yeah. perfecting that. But... It's paid off. Yep. She's coming home tomorrow with that gold medal mm. around her neck. And it's brilliant, brilliant for the country. Yeah. What about from your perspective as a coach, uh, you know, of women and young girls? What do you think this will do or should do for the sport? Oh, it's, it's really going to highlight the sport once again. Um, in the same way that it did when Katie brought home that gold medal back in 2012. The clubs will be flooded flooded with with new kids coming in and and that's what you want you want to be able to bring because that's where it starts Kelly was once a young girl who walked into a boxing club who one day said maybe I'll make the Olympics and she did and that's no different than anybody else who walks into a a boxing club it gives them a dream it gives them something to to fight towards to train towards It, it gives them a reason to get up get out and go to that boxing club I think clubs are going to be flooded 
when they can open properly. Clubs can't really mm. operate properly at the moment through to government yes. and, and, and health, you know, with COVID and stuff like that. So they have to be very careful um, in relation to opening boxing clubs fully again. But it is going to actually, the clubs are going to be flooded, flooded with kids from all over. And they are the future. Yeah, the future generation is not just you know the Olympic Games in three years; it's the Olympic Games in twenty years yeah. as well. You mm, know, mm, so mm. and and this is where the talent comes from is grassroots level. It's those club coaches who who train them, yeah. who turn them into champions, who teach them everything about boxing before they even get a sniff or a look at high performance. It's yes. the clubs is where champions are born and made. Uh, Just before we finish, uh, I see a call again today for more funding. Of course, everybody wants more funding. But boxing has been prominent, hasn't it, in our Olympic successes through uh, men and women for some time. It really is one of our foremost successful Olympic sports. I I take it you join with those calls. Oh, absolutely. And the funding needs to go to, yes, you know, high performance gets a certain amount of funding. But it's the clubs that need it. Mm. over the last 18 months there's clubs in this country who have been shutting up shop and closing their doors because you can't afford to pay their rent or keep the electricity on or anything like that and it's the clubs it's the clubs at grassroots level that need funding the funding needs to go directly to grassroots level and that's that's where as I said before that's where champions are made is at, at club level all those volunteer coaches who take them in and train them week in and week out long before anybody ever notices them in high performance yeah. you need your high performance because they need you know that extra bit of quality and they need the in order to keep up with other countries they need to be able to train in top class facilities but it's a long time between walking to a club and getting to that level yes and that's where it's needed the funded the funding needs to be put in a absolutely level. absolutely and Antoinette Faye well done to you you've been part of this story and this journey and all you've uh, taken care of and put through your hands as well and will in the future thank you for joining us today and giving no us the local there. perspective thanks Antoinette Great. take thank care of yourself you. bye okay. bye 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 that's Antoinette Faye from Navin Ireland's only AIBA World 2 star female amateur boxing coach she's brilliant that woman to your comments hot summer lot of moisture now must mean field mushrooms it does indeed Marion's been on from Oldcastle to say we've been eating mushrooms picked fresh from the fields this last week Jerry. oh you lucky duck and somebody else there they're white with mushrooms where, round where I live Jerry. and another one ah oh, Jerry, you can't beat the field mushroom it's the king's is another listener have you mushrooms local mushrooms in your fields I know they won't tell you the fields where they're in they'll never tell you that they're a big secret but just nice to know where they are and there's a flush of them at this time looks like like there is. Well done, Graham, says Graham Riley's mammy. Love the story, Jerry and Graham there, contributing to the lovely end. Nice to hear from you today. Listen to this. An Irish pigeon. We were talking to Jack Riley about the pigeon that he found after two months. I came back to him after two months that was lost in a race from France at the top of the show. Listen to this. An Irish pigeon played a small but vital part in bringing the news of the Normandy landings on D-Day 75 years ago. Paddy the pigeon was hatched in Carnlock in County Antrim and on the 6th of June 1944 was the fastest of 32 pigeons released from Normandy to bring back the news of D-Day to England. He made the journey 
230 miles in 4 hours and 50 minutes. He was bringing a coded message with details of the landings attached to his leg back to his home loft at RAF Hearn in Dorset, England and had to brave poor weather conditions and falcons released by the Germans. For his feat, Paddy was awarded the Dickin Medal, which has been described as the animal equivalent of Britain's Victoria Cross and is the only Irish animal to have been so decorated, says Eunan Smith. Thank you, Eunan, for that lovely addition to our story today about the pigeon. Much appreciated. If you want to comment, join us 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. Now, my next guest is a columnist with the Observer newspaper, covers media and politics with the Irish Times, contributes to a range of other prominent publications and has a mighty presence online. Seamus O'Reilly recently published a book about life after losing his mammy when he was just five. It's aptly called Did You Hear Mammy Died? And Seamus is with me. Hello, Seamus. Hiya. Thanks for joining me on the show. Well, may I say first, congratulations, number one for the second week in a row in the Irish bestsellers. Uh, yeah, it's been extremely uh, overwhelming. So um, every time I look at the chart, I'm just more stunned than before. So I'd like to thank everybody who's read and enjoyed the book um, and most uh, sincerely anyone who's bought it, even if they didn't enjoy it. Oh, listen, listen, boy, <laughs> they are enjoying it and I'm getting the feedback and I'm going to tell you more about that in, in a few moments. Is this your first foray? Is this your first published book? Uh, it is indeed. It's my first book of any type. So right. I don't have a I don't have a big um a hard drive full of uh tender novels of difficult modern verse. Uh this was the first time that I got the chance to maybe sit down at book length. Um but luckily it's about a subject that uh, I would class myself as an expert, um, which is me. So mm-hmm. it's about me and uh <laughs> my family and uh and uh, my dad features yeah. prominently as well as of course of of my mother as well. So yeah. yeah. I was the per- I was the right person to write it, I think. Yeah, well done to you for a first. <laughs> it's simply magnificent. I can see the award nights clocking up uh, down the road for this <laughs> one to be sure. Yes, your dad, Joe. And your mammy, Sheila, because this is what spawned this. You were only five years of age, 11 children in the family, and your dad is left with 11 from two years of age up to 17. Tell me this, Seamus, at five, did a lot of this when you look back and think now really go over your head? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, the title of the book is kind of testament to that. So the title is Did You Hear Mummy Died? Uh, which is a direct quote. It's something I was saying to horrified mourners at my mother's wake um, when I was left alone for a moment too long. And uh, obviously the permanence of death being slightly hard to drill into a five-year-old, as I like to say, I mean, the opposite would probably be more horrifying. Mm. But if you've ever been on one of those occasions at a funeral or a wake and you see that the kids are a little bit more oblivious and they're running around and they're not really sure what's going on and there's loads of people... Uh, trying to marshal them and trying to stop them from uh, puncturing the slightly solemn air of proceedings. And uh, I was let loose and I was found answering the door to people, uh, my three foot tall ginger frame with my hand outstretched saying very cheerfully, did you hear mommy died? Um, which obviously is sad and funny at the same time. It's something that I get ribbed uh, by my 10 siblings for ever since. Um, but as a book that's 
about grief and death and loss, but it's also about humor. It's about love. Mm-hmm. It's about all the things that bind a family together. Uh, I thought it was, it's a good way to, <laughs> a good way to launch those ideas, yes. something funny and sad at the same time. Oh yeah. It's a beautiful segue into it. And you're not wrong in what you say. There is a sadness and of course a deep sadness about losing your mother at such a young age. But this book is really uplifting. I have to say as well, you know, um, you know, you're five years of age and this happens to you. Life goes on. And, and in a big family like that, with your dad, Joe, he, he took up the reins. Was he a man who participated? I'm sure he had to with 11 of you, with your mum uh, before she passed. Uh, yeah, I would have said he was a very modern dad, particularly for the time. So this was, uh, my mum died in 1991. So as you said, uh, at the time of my mum's death, uh, tragically, she died from breast cancer at very young, 43, um, which of course, when I was five, seemed like she was 100 years old. But now, mm. as I'm getting closer and closer to <laughs> that age, you know, I'm, she's only six or seven years older than than mm. than, uh, than I am now, uh, or eight years older. Um it's it, you're right though things things even that that drastic and that such so tragic you know, a story that everyone had heard about us growing up and always had so much sympathy for us but at the same time like you suggest you know life does go on um especially in a big family especially in a in a in a, in a family that's very close both in age and also just you know personally emotionally we're quite close to each other and my dad my dad was a very he has, I say he has the work ethic of a soldier ant and uh, he was like that before my mum died and he kicked it into gear, you know, a hundredfold mm. afterwards, bringing us all up on a single wage. And we weren't always the easiest. Uh, I'd say if he'd only been given a three three or four of us, we would have been a handful, but uh, all 11, I just, I, I wonder and I marvel. Um, I've got one son myself and I feel like I should get some sort of award every single <laughs> night that he goes to bed. I think I should be on the late, late, you know, I should just, you know, there should be parades for me. It should be Kelly Harrington should be kicked into next Wednesday. And it, it should be all me. So I thought to some extent, this entire book is just a, an apology and a thank you and uh, my God, how did you do it to, to my dad? So uh, if you want to view it that way, I'm happy. Yeah, I think they were made to stern of stuff in the past. I'm not being disrespectful, oh. but it's just an impression that I have. But here's the thing you mentioned about your dad. God help him. He had six teenage daughters simultaneously. He did. So this was in a brief, benighted moment uh, in history. So he would have been about 50 at this stage. So about six or seven years after my mum died, uh, probably around 99, 2000. And I had to check this because I didn't believe it. Now, I lived through this and I didn't believe it. But I did the sums and I realised, my God, he would have had six teenage daughters. Of his seven daughters, six of them were teenagers at once. Yeah. And then, of course, he also had four sons, uh, of whom uh, myself and my little brother, the two youngest, were still at home. And we were we were no treat either. <laughs> but uh, but we you couldn't, you couldn't use the bathroom, you know, without written... A, a written appointment you know you, you'd be lucky to pick up the phone and not hear some some bickering on the other end you know back in the days where there was the one shared landline you know yeah uh so all those things were things i had to dig into and ask and i find myself asking the same questions for my sins that i've been asked my entire life how did you even get up in the morning what did you do about dinner how did you get from place to place because i just started to dig into it realize 
I have no idea. I don't know how we did it. We just got on with it. But within that, getting on with it was an awful lot going on. So that's the basic. Uh, <laughs> that was that made the book easier and much harder to write. So I'm I'm glad that it came across. You divide the family into three lots. I love this. Uh, the big ones, the middle ones, and the wee ones. And of course, you were part of the wee ones for sure. Uh, you know, as life and time, you mentioned yourself and your own age now, not far off your mum's. Is there a breakdown, you know what I'm getting at, between the three generations within the one family? Or are you united or as united, given even the age gap from two to 17 when your mum died? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's definitely unified. So obviously between the ages of two and 17, that, that's a that's several galaxies yes. of difference. And I think people I'm sure listening will, will have will have come from big families or more likely they'll have parents from big families. Uh, We kind of skipped a generation. My dad was an only child, so you can riddle that one out for the ages. Mm -hmm. But we, we had subdivisions as children that were, uh, they were impermeable. You know, if you were a big one, you're a big one, a middle one, you're a middle one and a wee one, of course, you were very handsome and cool and the best. So that of course was set in stone as kids, but the other, sort of nice thing possibly the best thing about being from a very big family that's very close is now that we're all you know in our 30s and 40s and we've a lot of us have kids of our own we feel so much more like peers and uh it's been nice getting to know my brothers and sisters as adults as strange (laughs) as that sounds um and it's a it's probably a dynamic that's probably quite uh it's quite common to a lot of people from big families where you get to adulthood you're like oh I'm kind of getting to know these people now. They used to be these vaulted aristocrats that were going off and working and going to college and stuff. And I didn't see them very much when I was a kid. And now we're all closer than we've ever been. So um, until, of course, they uh, start uh, writing me legal letters because of all my lies and slander <laughs> in this book, where we get on very well for the time being. Seamus, that won't happen. Not at all. Is it fair to say your dad was a bit nerdish? The VCRs, his attention to detail... He was a mass mouse killer as well. You know, we know that from the, from the book. But, you know, you read this back to, I know, his 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 uh, eyesight is, is failing a little at this time. You know, when you read it back to him and he thought, Holy, hold on a minute, the first letter from solicitors is coming from me to you, Mr. Seamus O'Reilly. Oh, how did he, how did he, you know, feel about the book? Uh, he was, thankfully, loved it. Um, so I can, I can put that straight in the start of this sentence because there is a follow-up uh, point which is uh, my dad like you said is is nerdish he likes particular details he's a retired engineer um, so he's he, he likes detail and he's a literal man so he was not shy I can tell you this about pointing out every single inaccuracy every omission uh, every exaggeration I, I grasp for jokes and that means sometimes I will embellish and exaggerate in I would like to say that the true uh, the passion and the history and tradition of good Irish storytelling. But my father sees that as a being in hock to a tissue of lies. So he sat me down, I sat him down rather, and I'm reading him the book and he's enjoying it, he's loving it. And every five minutes he's interrupting to say that I've used the wrong word for a for a priest's apparatus or I've listed the wrong date of purchase for a caravan that he owned. All the important stuff you understand. Um, so <laughs> I wouldn't have had it any other way because in the book, of course, I talk about the fact he's a stickler. He's a, he's a very particular man. He likes things in his own way. Uh, but he's also... He was very touched by the emotion of it. He liked the way that I, he liked most of the jokes even. Hmm. Um, so 
from that experience, uh, it was just so wonderful to hear yes. that from him and, and subsequently. And everything since then has, to be honest, has been a bonus because I suppose I was worried if he yes. if he really hated it. Yeah, once you got his imprimatur. And just to tell listeners, of course, you lived on the Derry-Donegal border through the Troubles as well, coming to the end of the Troubles. Just back to your mum. You, you, you didn't know much about her. I'm sure you have scant memories. But you do talk about, and I've seen you writing about this, that... And this is advice you've given to others as well who are at a loss when there's a huge loss in their lives. You've some letters she wrote and other little bits and pieces, but you say that's so important in the process of trying to know the person and grieving. Uh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So I was very lucky that uh, my, uh, well, we call her Auntie Patricia. She's my mum's oldest friend rather than a direct relative but she's you know auntie patricia to us and she was uh, throughout my childhood she was such a fantastic ambassador for my mother's memory and always has been and, and very good at telling funny stories the stories that other people wouldn't tell you you know about how she, maybe things that weren't as flattering like oh she was a goody two shoes in school or oh she couldn't draw a picture to save her life that kind of thing but she also, um, because she was such a close confidant of my mother's, she had these letters and these letters from the last four years of my mom's life. Uh, they are, I think there's 11 of them and she's talking about her diagnoses and all these other things. But what's wonderful about them um, as I held them in my hand was first of all, seeing her handwriting, seeing her talking about commonplace things. And as much as I would imagine at a time like that, when she was going through so much stuff and so much turmoil, particularly with you know eleven kids, a full time job as a teacher, and also the, all of her medical problems, all she wanted to do was talk about us. All she wanted to do was talk about doing the messages and going out and visiting people back home in, in her home of Fermanagh, which is where my parents are both from. And you get the sense of the life lived. You get the sense of the ordinary. And there's to me, there's nothing more wonderful than ordinary. And it reminds me of whenever you see those photographs where everyone's staring at the camera at like a wedding, they're never as satisfying 10 years later as those moments you get on a dance floor of someone who doesn't know they're being captured. Those ordinary moments, which is what I strive for, obviously in relation to my mum, but also in relation to when I write about things, I don't want things to be the official record. I, I want to find those little hidden nooks and crannies where people are themselves. Uh, so I, I have given that advice. You're right to people if they have suffered bereavement or for example, they're wondering about children who have suffered bereavement of a parent is Try and keep that memory alive, obviously, through telling stories and everything else. But also, if you've got letters, if you've got messages, if you've got things um, that don't seem important, they seem so ordinary, just shopping lists, you know, you'd be amazed how much that can really bind a memory to a person, particularly someone taken so young and so tragically. I think that's the most wonderful advice. Look, before we finish, and I could talk to you all afternoon, to be honest with you, I just want to tell you that we have a book club on our late lunch show uh, with Margaret Madden, who reviews books with us every month and recommends. And she's been in touch with me this morning. She knew you were coming on to congratulate you on the book. And she says to tell you that is is one of the most special books. She's She just finished reading it yesterday. She's had the privilege to read in an awful long time and she's going to talk more to us about it on our next book club later this month. Oh, that is wonderful to hear. And I'd also like to say that the the support and the reaction has been astonishing. Um, uh, you'll be the first to hear this, but just recently I've had so many people get in touch who knew my mum, uh, including one person who used to teach with her and he was able to send me pictures of her that I never saw from six months before she died on a school trip in a horrible sequence of shell suits. And... Uh, those kinds of reactions, both from people who like the book and people who've reached out, who used to be old family friends, it's so beyond what I ever expected when I wrote what I 
thought it was a personal book that I thought was very funny and you know great and as it happens all fine but it's the fact that it's connected with so many people it's connected with people who've gone through the same thing and it's connected with people who maybe haven't seen that story being told um and if I yeah, if I've uh, reached those people at all or touched them, then I'm I'm unbelievably privileged and proud. You have, Seamus. You're a rare talent. You've hit a vein in your life that's really special. Keep doing what you're doing. I love reading you in The Observer. I'm a regular reader and I just point to listeners on Twitter. I said he's a big noise on social media. At Shockproof Beats. At Shockproof Beats, you can follow this man. Congratulations on the book. Well deserved. And I say again the award season I'll be looking out for you Seamus thanks for joining me (laughs) thank you so much for having me not at all you're very welcome that's the wonderful Seamus O'Reilly there the book is called Did You Hear Mammy Died Lenny Healy is 60 happy birthday Lenny all your family are wishing you well especially Jerry and Trisha and they hope uh, that the partying goes on this evening and that you have a great time and great week ahead Lenny 60 there you go folks anyway another special day today Whitney Houston yes it would be her birthday today she would have been 58 anyway Lenny for you from us from all the family and Jerry and Trisha shall we gonna spin this one for you because they're all saving all their love for you Lenny Whitney Houston especially for Lenny Healy he's 60 happy birthday Lenny I'm just reminding you the Premier League is back this weekend and we'll have live commentary from three Premier League matches this Saturday on the LMFM app or by clicking the listen tab on our LMFM website. First up, Manchester United take on Leeds at half past 12. At three o'clock, it's Everton against Southampton while Liverpool are at Norwich for the evening game at 5.30. Premier League Live would now join in in the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. You can watch the Premier League, but you can listen to those game games with us on the app or on lmfm.ie. The year just turns around, doesn't it? As sure as night follows day, the Premier League is back. Who's going to win it? Who's going to stop Manchester City? Will Liverpool come back this year after a poor season last season? What about Man United and Solskjaer? It's intriguing, isn't it? I didn't even mention Chelsea, the European champions there. Uh, It's one from that four for sure to win the league and the rest. Well, take your pick. Anyway, it's back this coming weekend the Premier League on LMFM now up next on the show we're into August and the gardening tasks continue what to do in the vegetable garden only one woman for us Nikki Kyle next I'm an optimistic Leeds fan says a listener You'd want to be super optimistic if you're a Leeds fan and think they're going to win the league this year, I have to say. I'm an Arsenal fan and I'm a pessimist, I have to tell you today. Absolutely pessimistic. (laughs) Sorry about that, Gooners fans. Just to mention Fela on Pubble taking place in Belfast at the moment. See the big concert last night? What was about 10,000 added? Incredible, given the last year and a half or more we've had. But uh, there you go. A big festival going on in Belfast and one of the aspects of it is landscape. Artist of the Year uh, and it's part of this huge festival 
and you can vote. You can vote in this one uh, for a local lady. Uh, Dawn McGrath is her name. She's from Trim in County Mead and she's in the running uh, to be Landscape Artist of the Year. So if you'd like to vote for Dawn, the uh, voting closes at 6 o'clock this evening. Check out the Fail in the Pubble Fail in the Pubble Facebook page 2021 Landscape Artist of the Year and she'd appreciate any support she should get. And uh, she's well there for the title, I have to tell you. Now, for the title of Ireland's foremost organic gardener, there's only one name. It's Miss Nikki Kyle. Hello again, Nikki. <laughs> Hi, Jerry. And you have to be opt- an optimist, not a pessimist. You're a gardener. <laughs> you have to be optimistic. <laughs> uh, Nikki, I'm more optimistic about my garden than Arsenal, but we leave that for. <laughs> for another day. Anyway, I am optimistic. You know me. I am an optimist. Of course I am. Nikki, what about this time of the year? Look around the garden. Things are getting a bit jaded and last time we talked... it's a bit like autumn, is it? It's very... I mean, do you know the polytunnel's been down to three degrees centigrade several nights over the last week? I can't believe it. But, you know, we may get an Indian summer or we've got lots of great autumn crops to look forward to. Good. And, you know, when we talked last year, we hadn't a drop of Ishka. The temperatures, you were telling me, were continental-like. And look at yeah. the way it changes. That's just Ireland for you, isn't well, it? Well, it's, it's not just Ireland. It's also climate yes, change, Sherry. Yes. And actually, there's uh, just very quickly, there's a pretty scary UN report out today on ah, climate yes. change. And yeah. we have to take notice, all yeah. of us. It doesn't matter whether we think it's rubbish or not. We've got no choice. Um, you know, and, and actually growing some of our own organic veg in peat-free compost, not digging up peat, instead of buying imported out-of-season crops is something really positive that we can all do to help mitigate climate change. Here, here, and that report is startling and frightening and we will be coming back to it over the coming days here on the show. So, here we are in August. We can still sow a few things, yes? Oh gosh, there's loads of things to sow now because a lot of things didn't like being sown in the heat in midsummer, uh, and now there's lots of lovely autumn crops we can sow like kind of kale, sugarloaf chicory, spinach beets, Swiss chard um, you know, Chinese cabbage masses of stuff um, and I also sow flat leaf parsley now because that's one of the best flavours and I need lots of it at Christmas and it's a slow grower so you want to start it off now but you know, if you're starting to grow your own veg for the first time and I've heard of a lot of people recently who are start small Start with a couple of large containers or pots and choose something easy like salad leaves, um, you know, that are easy to grow but hard to buy fresh in the supermarket. Mm, That's so true. The salad leaves are so easy. And if you just sprinkle them in a container, as Nikki said, within within a couple of weeks, you're going to be picking. And you know what? Recent research, research shows that one of the best things we can do to boost our immune system, which is important right now, and gut health, is to eat a mixed leaf salad every day. Now, I've been telling you that for years, Jerry, but that's recent research. Good to hear it. So mixed leaf salad every yep. day, good for the body. Now, listen, let's talk a moment about uh, tomatoes because, uh, you know, the year is moving on. I've, yep. I've de-leafed the lower levels to let light, etc., and they're ripening away. Should you continue that up the plant? No, I don't de-leaf tomatoes at all. Do actually, you not? Unless, no, unless they're brown, diseased or dead. You know, if they've got something wrong with them, they come off. Otherwise, I leave them. Unless they're very leafy, they're a very leafy yes. variety and they need air circulation because that's important at this time of year. But I never take off healthy green leaves uh, unless I absolutely have to because they're making food for the plant. Right. And by taking off the leaves, you're actually going to stump the plant. Okay, so uh, I, I haven't gone mad just yeah. at the bottom and I, they do need a bit of air in certain no, areas. they do, yeah, yes. you're right. So you can take off a few to let some air circulate around if, them. If you 
feel they need okay. it, but don't take off really healthy-looking leaves. You know, that some of them are going a bit brown and a bit yellowy and a bit sort of funny-looking at this time of year. Definitely take those off. And keep going over them every day, taking off side shoots, because they stop air circulation as well, because we don't need them now. Um, you know, and, and keep doing that. But when it comes to watering, yep. um, whatever you're watering, don't water at night now because there's nothing plants hate more than having cold, wet roots. So always water in the mean, in the mornings, and only water if you absolutely have to. In fact, I stop watering my tomatoes at the beginning of September, and that's it. Okay. And what about feeding every second go? No, not now. They're not growing so strongly. They okay. won't take it up. I would, if something looks like it needs a bit of a boost, then give it a bit of a feed. But they don't need feeding every second watering now. I put in Moskotka when you told me. They're unbelievable. Yeah. I've potted them on into the final pots. Brilliant. And would you believe already, they've thrown flowers and little tomatoes are setting. That's within weeks. Yeah, I, well, things grow very quickly, because that was sort of midsummer, I think, when you yes. said those, wasn't it? Yes, Yeah, I, it's, it's brilliant. It's the fastest tomato in the world. I proved that a few years ago. Uh, and it's absolutely reliable and brilliant. Do I need to stake it? Ah, well, if it gets a heavy crop on, sometimes you need to support it a, a little bit. But otherwise not. Um, you know, if, you, if you've got them in a tub, mm. uh, you don't need to because they'll just droop over the side. Yes. But the problem is I never grow them in the ground. I always grow them in tubs because otherwise the slugs eat the fruit, which mm. is a nuisance. And side shooting, no with mascarca. No, no, because no. no, it's a bush. You never yes. side shoot bushes. Okay. Just to let it make all the side shoots it likes. And uh, at the end of each side shoot, it'll make a truss of flowers and then fruit. Now, controlling cucumbers, I have a lovely crop of the burp list this year and another one as well. Louise, I heard about that. Lu- yeah, you have, haven't you? At least just now. <laughs> Louise wouldn't she believe you me. You took her in a burp list cucumber. She said, Nikki, is there really such a thing as a burp list cucumber? I said, yeah. She thought Jerry was having me on. <laughs> she doesn't believe me. I'm going to get her for that one a little bit later on. Anyway, she'll believe you, that's for sure. <laughs> Tell me this. Is it time to stop cucumbers at the top now where there are small ones? Yeah, I would actually, because they're not going to grow that much more. Um, and I would also keep, um, you know, pinching off the side shoots, yes. uh, two to three leaves, because that actually produce, uh, makes the plant produce more side shoots uh, and it'll fruit on those, you know, but they're yeah. slowing up a little bit now. Yeah, uh, yeah, the side shoots are a devil. If you let those develop, you're yeah. in trouble with getting mature cucumbers, that's for sure. Am I too late? I have my little sprouted spuds. Can I pop them into pots for yeah, Christmas? Ab- absolutely. What variety are they? Oh, I think they're Nicola that I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that even if they're not ready for Christmas, and, you know, we have so much food at Christmas, mm. they almost get lost. It's lovely to have them after Christmas. Yes, yes. So, you know, you, you can't, and lots of the garden centres now will have, I think, Christmas planting-ready tubers or something, but, you know, you can put any potato in. But a first or a second early is more likely to be ready in time for Christmas because they're faster growing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But any potato will grow at this time of year. I've put loads in already. Mm, good on you. Now, uh, uh, old freezers, People uh, tend to just send them off for recycling. Yeah. You say stop. Absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I couldn't believe the reaction yesterday when I tweeted about it, actually. Because, you know, if, if you're buying a new fridge or freezer, normally um, the, the firm you're buying off will come and take it away. But, you know, they make brilliant apple stores. They're absolutely fantastic. I mean, they're humidity and climate controlled, you know, yeah, and, and very well insulated. So they don't need to be plugged in once they're dead or, you know, just they, they can go to a garage or a shed or anywhere because the insulation in them will stop the things inside from freezing. 
Um, and the upright ones are great because you've got drawers you can pull out. And if you could get several different varieties of apples that ripen over the winter, you, you could just pull them out and, and have a crisp, fresh apple every day. And so much nicer than those tasteless things in supermarkets, which are imported from halfway across the world, which is crazy. That's another thing that's winding up climate change. And it, we've got to th- sort of think about buying more local food. Um, and lots of local apple growers haven't been able to sell their apples for years. And I think now is their chance. They should start advertising apples for storing. You know, varieties that will actually be picked in October are the ones that we'll store. Mm. And some of those, I mean, I've got hundreds of apple trees here, as you know. And many of them, they don't fruit a lot, but they'll fruit, you know, they'll ripen gradually over the winter. So you can store them in little lots and and label them and know what you've got. And, you know, we have our own apples here normally from July until the following May. Isn't that terrific? And and they're Irish grown here. Now, this year's been a bad year because we got that really whacking awful frost of minus six Mm. um, at the end of April, beginning of May, when everything was, the blossom was wonderful. I thought we're going to have the best crop ever and over night half of it was killed um but we've still got lots of apples and you know they're even more precious and not only that they're more nutritious than these apples that have been picked before they're ripe and held in climate controlled conditions in new zealand or somewhere and then sent uh, you know halfway across the world to here they're tasteless and they're nutritionless yes so shop local shop irish use your old freezers and store them in it and they'll keep perfectly without plugging in or anything it's a lovely environment for them absolutely now, my Katie, that you helped me train along the walls, you're familiar with a, yep. a, a few years back. I have a few rotten apples in among the good ones, Nikki. Why is that? They're real, you know, brown and, and mouldy and... Uh, well, actually, on the tree. Yes, on the tree, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we've had such peculiar weather, Jerry. It's going to become more difficult to grow crops. Um, and in some cases, they may have got... Um, you know, coddling moth or something. Um, you know, next year possibly put, put some coddling moth traps there in the spring because obviously, you know, sometimes a little insect or something can make a, 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 a mark or damage the flesh and it will rot from there. Uh, and even actually at this time of year, because the birds have been so hungry too, they've been actually pecking the red looking bits on some of my apples. Mm. Um, and that, of course, they'll rot from there then as well. Okay. You've so- just got to keep looking at them, taking off the rotten ones and treasure the good ones that you've got and Katie sadly isn't a variety that we'll keep but you can actually you know when you've eaten enough of them fresh you, you can um, actually chop them up and freeze them or you know make pies yeah. of them or anything e- even eating apples are perfectly good for cooking Your most treasured broccoli remind me of the name of it again Green Magic Green Magic God yeah. I, and my old head's getting soft anyway I have Green Magic outdoors and they're coming on well they're not Great. too big yet and I, I've netted them but somehow still those white bloody butterflies seem to manage to get oh, a, millions of them about a neg or two yeah. on them You know, and, and yesterday I spent yesterday morning yeah. with Ava with me and us going around squishing the caterpillars but the thing to do if you you know with, with keeping cabbage white butterflies off is to suspend the netting above the plants mm. don't rest it on the plants yes. because they can lay their eggs through the, the netting yeah it's well up Nikki I don't know how the well something must have got, got in. in underneath yeah, you know or, the, or your netting yeah. is too wide yeah yeah um, but actually I got a really good sort of new netting from Fruit Hill Farm this year uh, and it's a much closer type of netting and I think that's going to be good because it also works as frost protection in the winter mm. it is a battle because nature is nature they're all looking after themselves and they understand that as well you know 
Well, well, you know, it, there's very few butterflies around this year yeah. uh, as food for the birds. I, I, it's, you know, because of the very peculiar erratic weather we had, again, climate change, um, you know, sort of very warm. Do you remember we had a March that was like summer? And then it suddenly got really, really cold again, which damaged the apples. Everything came on, on very early. I think a lot of the insects actually um, it's disrupted their sort of breeding cycles and, and they hatched early or didn't hatch at all. It's uh, very peculiar. And it's actually very worrying. But as I say, you know, all we can do is the best we thing we could do. And, that, and one of those positive things is to grow our own food mm. and not import out-of-season vegetables from Kenya or somewhere else. I have a message from a listener. I have a glut of courgettes. What the, oh. would Nikki say to do with them? I'm not surprised. They just keep coming. You go out in the morning and they're six inches and by night they're six feet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but actually, it's a very good recipe. Well, I shouldn't say very good, should I? On my website, um, the courgette gratin, which is brilliant. Mm. Um, another thing you can do is actually um, you can grate them. Um, salt them slightly, um, let the, the, the water run out of them for about half an hour, squeeze them together and freeze them. Oh. Um, because you can then use them for fritters. You know, you can use yes. the, the, the squeezed out flesh for fritters or, or putting in stews or all sorts of things. I mean, don't waste them. Mm. No, no, waste not, want not is the old adage. NikkiKyleGardening.com, it's all there. I'm hoping to see you sometime. Well, maybe before <laughs> the end of the year or maybe in the spring of next year. Please, God, Nikki, I live in hope. I am an optimist. We started on this note with you. Absolutely. We have to be optimistic. You know, anyone who plants a seed is an optimist. But we have to do that because we have to learn to feed ourselves. Mm. You know, and that's really important. But there's a whole load of um, things you can sow on my website, yes. on the What to Sow Now, at NikkiKyleGardening.com. Lots of more suggestions there. A star she is. Nikki, until the next time, thank you for joining me on the show. Thanks, Jerry. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Simply wonderful, wonderful woman. Full of sense, full of knowledge, knows what's going on on this planet of ours. That report is frightening when you see it. It really is. And we can all begin by trying to sow a little bit of our own in containers and then you'll get into it and you'll be away. That's for sure. It is addictive. It is wonderful. Sow the seeds to be an optimist. That's the uh, message from Late Lunch this afternoon. Fergal's been on to say Villa all the way, Jerry. Aston Villa for the league? Don't think so. Could be dark horses, though. They've made good signings, even though Grealish has gone. That's for sure. You didn't believe me. You had to ask Nikki Kyle. You <laughs> didn't believe your guru here. No. I'm the gullible What did she tell you? Everything. What did she tell you? What did she tell you? She said, um, yes, they can make you burp. And there is a variety which you brought in to me last week. Called? Burpless. Burpless. She's, Louise thinks I'm pulling <laughs> it's like her leg. something from the VFG or Roald Dahl book though, really. <laughs> Cucumbers making you burp. They do. I believe they do. You know, now, not that I know because I grow the burpless. So why would I? But I burp for other things, but maybe not for cucumbers. There's somebody on about bindweed. I just missed it there to ask Nikki, how do you get rid of bindweed? Do you know it? It's a, a leafy thing with a white flower. You'd see it growing up walls of that as well. And I know it, Louise. It has a quite a substantial root. The only way in would my it smother opinion... Uh, yeah, it'll it grow. Do? It will. It will smother. That's the idea. It, it will indeed. I think you just got to dig out the roots and leave none of it behind and take it away. If you can, if it's on a scale that you can do that. Or squish I, it like a caterpillar. Yeah. Or you do that. get the yolk I got, the burner. Well, I was telling you about the, the thing I got for burning the weeds. Mm-hmm. Wasn't I telling you about yeah. that? I got this thing for burning weeds and it's attached to a gas cylinder. When you put it on, the flame is like a flamethrower. Oh, 
just borns the bee. You know, know what? Out of the weeds. I have a cobble lock and it's hard to keep. Now, I have to say, after the rain has come, you can see, you know, some of them coming back. But I'll just give them another dash of the, of the fire and that'll be the end of them at that stage. And how long were you free of them? Since you used it? Uh, well, I used it uh, when it was... I'm only, I only used it about 10 days ago. But you see, uh, it burns them on the surface. The, the idea with this thing is really to get at them in the spring of the year before okay. they get established to that. But anyway, I'll go at them again. So I'll give them another blast and maybe another one before the end. But the burning of them is great. It really does. Oh, the driveway looked magnificent after it. But it took, it took a while to do it, I have to say. But just another option. Hey, what about Messi? Did you see Lionel Messi crying? No. You know Messi, who plays for Barcelona. I thought you meant the, your dog. This is like a, uh, between purpless <laughs> cucumbers. No, I was talking about the footballer Messi. Messi, my dog, is fine. Anyway, he was crying. He's leaving Barcelona. Uh, after, he's there since he was 13 or something. Aww. They can't keep him. He wants the money involved. And even though he cut his weight. Where's he, he going? They think he might go to Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, they have loads of money uh, and they spend it, uh, no bother. But uh, he was crying, crying. But, you know, what, what's he... I know he loves the club, but she's paid millions upon millions to play at the club and endorsements and everything. And he'll go to Paris and he'll get more millions and millions. It's obscene, the money, I have to say. And I know he loves the club. Could he stay if he took a cut? Play for nothing. He should have stayed and played for nothing. He got that much money off them. <laughs> but can you imagine a mercenary footballer, mercenary footballer staying anywhere and playing for nothing? I know they have to earn a living, and rightly so, and de- as good a living as they can. But it reaches a point with footballers, Louise, when the money's obscene. Ah, it's yeah, but obscene. Yeah, but there's somebody paying that for mm. them. Would you? you would and you me. turn it down? You're, you're paying it. I'm paying them. I know, but would you turn it down? No, you're not going to turn it down, but it is obscene. It's shocking when you think of what some people have to get by on in the world and what pro footballers and mm. sports people get. It's no, it just, is. It is ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. It really is. It's shocking. And I say that being a sports fan myself. And I know it's uh, uh, the free market economy, absolutely everything like that, but I just think it's wrong. Look at the boys in the Hurland. Ah, oh, amateurs. Best field game in the world. Yeah, great. Hurland, the best game in the world. No doubt about it. Mickey says Spurs for the league. Mickey, I take it, has a fever or temperature or something. You should get a thermometer out and check it, Mickey. Spurs for the league. 1961 was the last time Tottenham Hotspur were champions of England. And I can tell you that in 2022, Tottenham Hotspur will not be champions of England. I'll probably have to eat me hat if they are, but I can't see it, to be honest with you, Mickey. I really can't. Somebody else else on there, but Messi leaving Barcelona, saying if he leaves, uh, if Messi doesn't leave Barcelona, uh, he will lose out on a 50 million sale. They need to sell, sell, sell. Look, I know what you're talking about there. Um, there's actually no fee involved, I have to tell you. He's a free agent. They'll get no fee for him. He's out of contract. He's out of contract at the end of the season there. They had agreed a new deal with a mega deal to keep him at the club till he was 39. I don't know about that. Anyway, financial fair play rules, which they seem to apply in Spain. Do they do it elsewhere? I honestly don't believe they do. Anyway, that means that Barcelona can't keep them because the club wouldn't be able to function within the rules if they don't get rid of him. It's the wages that's involved and they'll get no fee, Barcelona. I'm sorry to tell you. Um, just hearing as well that the All-Ireland has been postponed for six days due to COVID. So the All-Ireland final, the All-Ireland final, football final, has been put back for six days due to COVID. Obviously, Tyrone are going to get that 
cancellation uh, because of the COVID outbreak of the, in their camp of the semi-final. So that is a knockout effect then for the final. That's just breaking news. I can tell you at the uh, at this very minute in time. Now my artist of the week. I love this fella. He's one of my all-time favourites. He was born on the 5th of November 1959 in Kingston, Ontario in Canada to British parents. His parents were British who moved there and his dad served uh, in the um, government circles over there and actually moved all over the world. But born in Kingston, he was actually reared in Ottawa and he has one younger brother. He bought his first guitar when he was 12 and began working the Vancouver music scene at 15 as a vocalist with a band called Sweeney Todd. At 18 he met Jim Valance, a drummer and songwriter with a rock band called Prism. Both at the time were at a loose end and so a partnership began which would deliver a string of hits and international fame and fortune for my artist of the week Brian Adams. Yes, it is Brian Adams. They began working together in 1978 and they produced a lot of material, uh, a couple of albums, his debut and second albums. Yes, they enjoyed success of sorts in Canada, but that's all I can say of sorts. And it wasn't until January 1983 and the release of his third album called Cuts Like a Knife that Brian Adams' career really took off. So let's kick off the week of Brian Adams in words and song with this one, the lead and breakthrough single from that album and a song I've always loved. I could start dreaming but it never ends You know I'll never go As long as I know It's coming straight from the heart Oh my God, I just love that song, I have to say. Brian Adams. Thanks, Jerry. Never heard that song before. A nice little lift just here at work on this wet, miserable day, says a listener. When you lift one heart in a day, it's a good day. It really is. Thanks for your lovely message this afternoon. Yeah, Messi for Drogheda United on a free transfer and beginning to think he wouldn't even save them this year. They're falling like a stone. I ain't surprised, to be honest with you. There you go. But let's see what the rest of the season brings. Now, I gave you wrong information. There's panic stations. The All-Ireland final isn't put back. It's the semi-final. The semi-final, I beg your pardon, between Tyrone uh, and Kerry is back six days. Put back six days to cope with the COVID outbreak. Mea culpa. Apologies for that. It's the semi-final that's back six days, just to clarify that one with you. Late lunch, LMFM radio, our final break of this Monday afternoon and then we're heading to Sweden. Big hello to Francis Griffin in Kells this afternoon. I'm delighted to hear your home, Francis. She was in hospital for seven weeks and had no radio and I so miss Jerry on the late lunch every afternoon. Oh, Francis. Francis, I lifted a heart a moment ago. You've lifted mine today. Thank God you're home to heal and you're listening in to us this afternoon and continued great recovery, Francis. That's Francis Griffin in Kells this afternoon getting in touch with us on late lunch. Now, a man we've been speaking regular to over the course of the pandemic is back with me on the show. He's originally from Drogheda in County Loud. He's a working journalist in Sweden. Patrick Riley, hello again. Afternoon, Jerry. Good to have you with us. Well, what's the latest? I, the reason I give you a shout out, well, I wanted to tick tack with you because you've been with us regular. Seeing good reports about Sweden in uh, July, you know, debts down, numbers, etc. And then in recent days, there's a question mark over this. What's the situation? Yeah, I mean, 
like you said, July, things were looking pretty good, but uh, things opened up again completely. Uh, as you know, there was never any severe lockdown here, but with nightclubs and restaurants and pubs opening, you know, at regular long opening hours again, there's been a spike of around 30% of cases in one week. And the Swedish uh, Public Health Authority, have, have, they blame that mainly on people socializing too much, going out and about, uh, pubbing and clubbing. And uh, now there's a concern that the cases are rising and with, like I said, 30% increase. And uh, the death rate now in Sweden is over 14,500. So it's significantly higher than uh, in Ireland or any of the neighbouring Nordic countries. Mm, so you put it down to the opening up, the greater socialising of, of younger people especially. What about vaccinations? How are you doing there? Yeah, almost half of the adult population have, are fully vaccinated. I'm, I'll actually be getting my second dose tomorrow, so I'll be joining that statistic as of tomorrow. But what's interesting is that they've already announced that they're going to offer a third vaccine dose, uh, possibly as early as the end of this year, to people who are already fully vaccinated because there's no way of knowing whether this vaccination will give you lifetime immunity. They're comparing it to like a flu booster shot, which you receive every winter. So that's already going to be rolled out uh, in the winter for older people. And Mm. most adults will probably be offered it. And even people have been offered uh, cash payments to take the vaccination. My oh my, and and that's something that's happening elsewhere in the world, and and it's been talked about here as well. That booster vaccination possibly being given as early as the annual flu jab to people of an age. So so there you go. But look at Tegnell. We spoke about Anders, uh, the main man there, is still I take it holding the position that the way Sweden have dealt with this, that is a bit more laissez-faire. But depending on the 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 good sense of the population, he's still confident uh, in the long run. This will show that Sweden emerges not much worse than others. That's, their, that's what their argument has been. They, they, they said, you know, lockdowns don't work as a sustainable long-term approach. But the stats will suggest that, you know, a lot more people have died there. If you compare it to our neighbours here in Denmark, you know, they did have a severe lockdown and a significantly uh, fewer amount of people died. And they've opened things up completely uh, again but there's much more severe restrictions to get into the country now. So Sweden announced uh, that two and a half million of these COVID certificates have been handed out. So if you want to travel anywhere, I mean, I left Sweden for the first time a couple of weeks ago. I was only going to cross the bridge and go to Copenhagen. But nevertheless, I still had to produce this certificate and have a test done, which costs around 40 euros because I don't, I'm not fully vaccinated yet. Uh, so, yeah, the, the approach is the same as it's always been, but now things are much more open and tourism is opening up again and uh, things are fairly, you know, if you were to compare it to this time two years ago, it's probably pretty much the same. And, uh, like, my dad was visiting last week and he was amazed that uh, no one was wearing masks, uh, you know, on the bus or when people are out and about. It's never been part of the policy here. It was only a recommendation to, to wear them at peak hours on the bus, but even then people... Uh, most people chose not to. Mm, I'm glad you got to see your dad and, and that that he was with you. What about from a work uh, perspective? Because, you know, here the advice is still to work from home where at all possible. Offices are empty. The centre of Dublin is, you wouldn't recognise it from pre-pandemic still. Um, wh- what's the work situation there? Are people back in the office? Uh, more people are returning, but in general there's going to be a reassessment of things in September. A lot of 
in Sweden this summer, most people take at least four to five weeks off. Uh, so it's only really now, next week, when schools will reopen, that things will people will start to go back to work. Uh, but you know, for most cases, you're you're encouraged to work from home if you have any symptoms. And in fact, a lot of workplaces have closed down offices because they found that they they're saving money as a result of this, and they're having this kind of flexible working space where they'll rent like a, a hotel conference room and have meetings maybe once or twice a month. Uh, so it's kind of a cost saving thing there. And they found that a lot of people have been actually more productive working from home than when they're in the office. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, a new world when it comes to the world of work. And I have to say, I can never see it returning, like you mentioned there, to what it was pre. There'll probably be an amalgam of uh, remote working, home working and the office scenario as well. Interesting and changed times. So overall, and schools as well, what's your school year? Is it different to ours here? You know the way we get the yeah. three or two month summer break. What about schools and school children? No, actually, my sons are back at school next Tuesday, and they finished up uh, sort of pretty much two months ago. So they get two months off here as opposed to, I think it's two months in Ireland, maybe three months when you're in secondary school. But yeah, they start earlier here in August, and they finish up a bit earlier. But you have the option to have your children in school in the summer, just kind of of like a summer school. But most people have their children off for the summer, so mine has been off for... Yeah, the whole summer now. I think they're excited to go back and see their friends again. I'm sure the parents are excited too. <laughs> no disrespect. You know what I'm getting at. You know, like that's. Uh, you know what to say. I know, Patrick. You're all right. You're all right. Anyway, the other thing is, we had a big concert in Belfast last night. I think there was about ten thousand at it there. Um, you know, first big events that have on the island uh, since the restrictions came in. What about events like that in Sweden? Anything happening on that front with festivals? Yeah, more things opening up again. Yeah, I know a few friends that have been to concerts, uh, mainly in Copenhagen. And obviously the Swedish football season is back in swing here and it's uh, mm. not full capacity, but it's possible to go to space between the seats. Uh, a lot more spectators than we saw at the Olympics. Yeah, so there is an opening up there on the sporting front as well. And of course, Malmo conceding a late goal to Rangers last week, have to go to Glasgow this week. Will they win? <laughs> Will they win? Will they win, Pat Patrick, or Rangers? That goal, a key one for Rangers. Well, they've done away with the away goals rule now. So I think yes. it, uh, that doesn't really count for much now. But I'd yeah. say Malmo more, uh, I think Rangers lost again at the weekend, didn't they? So I think they Malmo did. have a good chance. And. Mm. Uh, I heard the breaking news is that Messi signing for for Drogheda United. Another, <laughs> Stop. Another team in the same colour. <laughs> <laughs> As I said a few moments ago, I think they might need them. Is right. Anyway, so that's the situation on the ground with Sweden. Are you hoping to get over to Ireland? Um, will it be next year at this stage? If you, I come? hope to get back for a weekend because I'm Do you? Yeah. forty uh, this yeah. year, so I hope to get back for a weekend before Christmas. And, mm. Yeah, my dad just came over for the first time. I hadn't seen him in a year and a half. And now I have some friends from Ireland coming over to visit me in, you know, in the next few weeks. So Good. Yeah, it's great that things are opening up again. It's a yeah. chance to see friends and family again. Yeah, I think this is a scenario we're living with and will live with. And uh, the vaccinations have made a big difference. There's no doubt about that. But uh, watch this space as things evolve. Patrick, uh, safe times to you and take care of yourself. And we'll be in touch again shortly, I'm sure.
Thanks, Jerry. Take care. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Patrick Riley, originally from Drogheda, a journalist in Sweden with the situation there on the ground. Anyway, we'll uh, wrap up on Late Lunch for this uh, afternoon and tell you that tomorrow on Late Lunch, we have John Lowe and Frank Snow. Doesn't that just trip off the tongue there nicely? Yes, John Lowe is with us. He's going to talk about wills. The financial advisor about wills, he is a complete new take on this. He's talking to me tomorrow. Frank Snow is a Beatles fan. He's a mad Beatles fan. And I featured the Beatles as my artist of the week and he was in touch with us and he's a story behind this. And we're going to hear from Frank tomorrow on the show. And of course, uh, we will be touching base, I'm sure, with Professor Paul Moyna and more besides coming up on your late lunch on Tuesday afternoon. Have a nice Monday evening. Take care of yourselves. Eddie Caffrey is coming next with The Drive here on LMFM Radio and we'll be back with a brand new Late Lunch, 1.30 tomorrow. See you then. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have the biggest range of light commercials in the Northeast with same-day business finance, so let our van specialist Danny find a commercial vehicle to suit your requirements. See blackstonemotors.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.